Blog Talk Radio. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Born to Toast Marsha Witeka. Conversations plus connections equals community. Those are my three C's. The heart of my show is what's your story? It's my belief we all have stories. Some are similar, others are uniquely different. Storytelling brings the passions of my guests to life through our conversations. So be prepared to be entertained, informed, and inspired. Welcome to today's show. Well, hello, everybody. On this very special, the first Monday of March in 2019, today marks my first anniversary as a podcaster. And actually, I was in a studio for three years prior to this, but now I'm podcasting, which allows my guests to be anywhere. And I'm so excited about this show today. It's all about Thirst Project. It's a nonprofit organization that travels across the U.S. speaking at schools to educate students about the global water crisis and challenges them to fundraise to build build wells. And joining me today are two members of that exciting team, including Luke Romick. Welcome to the show, Luke. Hello, Marcia. How are you doing today? I'm just dandy. And I also want to welcome Evan Wesley. Welcome to the show, Evan. Hey, Marcia. Thanks for having us. We're super excited to be on. Oh, it, it's just great. And I'll mention it right off the top of the hour, and I know we will mention it um, as we move through the show. If people are interested in visiting your website, it simply is thirstproject.org. Do not add the word the in front of it, even though you'll hear me say that throughout the <laughs> show. But it is the www.thirstproject.org. And Luke, I thought we would start with you because in order for people to really appreciate what you guys are doing, I think we need to identify what the Thirst Project is. So can you tell us about the history and how this all got started? Absolutely. So like you mentioned today, we're celebrating your one-year anniversary of running a podcast. And uh, fortunately, as an organization this year, we're celebrating our 10th anniversary as an organization. So 10 years ago, we actually started as a group of college students uh, right out here in Southern California who had just learned about the water crisis and wanted to take action but didn't really know how. And so uh, all of the friends gathered together, all the money they had at the time, which was around $70, went to the nearest (laughs) Ralph's, bought as many water bottles as they could, and set out to Hollywood Boulevard to send a message and let people know that at this time, 1.1 billion people across the world just didn't have access to basic, safe, clean drinking water. And so throughout the day, they raised about $1,400, donated it to another charity and felt good about themselves and thought everything was done. But during the day, they had met two people who asked them to come to their schools, both a high school and a college, uh, to speak to their students about the same thing they had just learned on the street. And so our organization had been a little bit of a school club in a way and went to those two universities and schools and spoke about the water crisis. And about a month and a half later, two checks in the mail showed up for $12,000 each made out to Thirst Project, and we didn't even have a bank account in our name at that time. And so that is when we really realized the untapped potential in young people and the Thirst Project was formed. That's astounding. 
I mean, I there are dot orgs out there that would love to be able to recognize that they could receive that kind of funding so quickly. That that is tremendous. That that I just that's terrific. What what university? Do you remember? Were you part of that original team? I was not a part of that original team, but the university was Cal Berkeley. Okay. All right. Well, that's pretty, pretty, pretty remarkable. And Evan, I think what's important when this organization, and congratulations on your 10 years, and I, I'm sure we need to mention Seth Maxwell here because clearly he, he was the, he's the engine behind your, your team. Um, but I'd like you to maybe just talk about what the mission is of um, Thirst Project. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. Uh, our mission obviously goes right alongside you know, those first moments that we spent as students out on Hollywood Boulevard in Los Angeles trying to engage with the public. But our, our mission is simple. It's to build a socially conscious generation of young people who will end the global water crisis. You know, 10 years ago when we started uh, as a water organization, it wasn't even unique. There was dozens of other water organizations that had already existed around the country, around the world. But there was, there was no other water organization focusing on educating and activating young people. So I think the key identifier and, and unique part of our mission is the fact that we are building this movement of young people around the United States, but also around the world uh, who are dedicated and committed to helping give people clean water. I like the term that you use, and I think that it, it's so accurate in describing what you do, which is a movement. It, it, is, it is a movement, isn't it? And a lot of I think the millennials, and, and I just will just throw this out there, it's just my own personal opinion, I think they have a lot to give, and I think mm -hmm. they do want to be difference makers, and are given the opportunity to learn about a project and a movement, as you just described, must really be so, so exciting. I, 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 can, I can just imagine being one of those young people sitting in a crowded auditorium and listening to what you have to say. And, and Evan, I was thinking about this, and I was wondering, how, how did you get involved in the Thirst Project, and, and why? What, what is your background as to how you got involved yourself? Sure. Uh, that's a great question, uh, Marsha. I, I, growing up, I was loosely aware of global issues. Uh, I grew up in Kentucky, and uh, I grew up in the church, so I was loosely aware of uh, you know, the mission trips that you know, my church was taking and problems that existed around the world. Uh, but not until my junior year of college did I really and fully understand the water crisis. So I met a friend my junior year of college. He grew up in Africa, and he had moved uh, to a few different places all around Africa. And as we became friends, uh, during my junior year, he started to tell me stories of his life growing up. And so he would tell me things like uh, he would wake up at five in the morning and walk miles to fetch water and bring it back for his family so they could have something to drink. And story after story, he just started blowing my mind. And I was like, man, this isn't real. Mm -hmm. Like these stories, like there's no way. And so I did my own research. I went home that night and I Googled the water crisis, like in a simple Google search, just what is the water mm -hmm. crisis? And through my Google search, I came to realize that at the time, there was over a billion people on our planet who did not have access to safe, clean drinking water. And as a junior in college, I hadn't declared a major yet. I didn't know fully what I wanted to do with my life, but I knew I wanted to help people. I knew I you know, really enjoyed science and really enjoyed being outside. 
side. And so as I looked at the water crisis, uh, I saw a potential opportunity to make some huge impact, to potentially travel, you know, to leverage my ability to, you know, do science well. And I said, I'm going to try this. And so I changed my major after that conversation with Stratton. I changed my major to water resources and I studied it. I studied how water works, how water moves, how water is available in different forms around the world. And right before I graduated from college, Thirst Project at the time was partnering with universities around the country and my university, so the University of Kentucky, was one of their partners. And through that partnership, Thirst Project had sent out an email to all these students at this university to advertise an internship. So Thirst Project said, hey, we're looking for interns. We'd love to have people come and join our team. I saw this internship and I was like, this is perfect. This is exactly something I'd like to do. So I applied for this internship. I remember before uh, I applied, but I saw it. I said, man, this would be a dream job, like a dream opportunity. I got the internship. You know, I worked for Thirst Project for a few months, became really close with Seth, who is our CEO and founder. And then through that process, he invited me out to come work full time and, and build this thing. And uh, the, the unique thing that I have to say before I finish about Thirst Project and kind of why I got involved uh, is before any work that I had ever done in the water space. So before declaring my major, before fully understanding the water crisis, my first six, seven jobs were all with young people. So I was a camp counselor. I worked at the YMCA and the youth Aww. department. Uh, I had done so much work with young people. And then I found the water crisis and I still had this serious passion for young people. And Thirst Project was this perfect fusion of both of those passions, the water crisis and young people. And so the fit uh, for me to come on and work full-time for Thirst Project, it was perfect. And so that's really why I came on and that's why I've stayed on for so long. I thought initially that, you know, I would stay working for Thirst Project because I knew the life-changing impact that our work had on people, you know, giving individuals, giving communities clean water, that changes somebody's life. But what I've actually stayed on for so long is the day-to-day -day opportunity I get to work with and collaborate with young people. You know, these young people around the United States and around the world, and they inspire me in so many ways. And so uh, that's been uh, a real joy that I didn't fully expect when I first started working for Thirst Project. Oh, Evan, yeah, I just have to just interject here. I was a stay-at-home mom until my kids went off to college. And my first paid job, was at the YMCA. And I worked oh, for the I YMCA for 10 years as the membership wow. and healthy lifestyle director. And I oh, know wow. the impact that the YMCA has on the youth. And I, I just, when you, when you said that, I wish you could have seen my face. It was like, wow, this is <laughs> a perfect, a perfect connection. And it, you can honestly, you can hear and feel the passion that you're talking about of going to the university of Kentucky and then finding yourself, frankly, out in California, right? Because your right. headquarters here in Los Angeles, is that correct? Right. Yeah. I just literally picked, packed up my life and moved across the country for this job. So yeah, now in California for the past six years. That's, that's, well, congratulations and welcome here. What are, what are some of your responsibilities um, with Thirst Project? What are some of the things that you're responsible for? Yeah, uh, no, sure. Great question. And again, I think it's important to reinforce what I, what I just said is that when I came in mm -hmm. and started with Thirst Project, I remember talking to Seth, our CEO on the phone, and he offered me this job. And I said, Seth, I'd love to come. I'd love to work with Thirst Project. And the job he offered me was working with students. He's like, you're going to work with our students, help them plan campaigns, fundraisers. But I told him, I said, Seth, I'd love to as fast as possible, you know, get a job where I could work more directly with our water projects, work in the field more, you know, coordinate 
you know, our water projects. He said, well, that's great. He's like, we don't need that right now, but maybe in the future we will. And so when I, when I started with Thirst Project, I was the school club's coordinator, and it slowly turned into working more and more with our students. And so my official title is vice president for student activation, but my responsibilities uh, is pretty simple in one category. My job is to help students be successful in planning Thirst Project events, activities, fundraisers, campaigns. So I will connect with a student after they've heard about Thirst Project and after they've said, hey, I'm ready. I want to do something. I want to take part. I want to take action. And then I coach them and I really mentor them to implement campaigns at their local school and in their local community so we can get more people talking about the water crisis and so we can raise more money to help give people clean water. So that's my main responsibility. Every day I'm calling, emailing, texting, Skyping with students, helping them reach their goals. God, that's that's terrific. So where you thought you might move to the more scientific water project side, in reality, you stayed where you were fundamentally so comfortable, which is working with the youth, correct? Only on the, on, on this, on the water crisis, which is, you know, that's pretty, it's pretty remarkable, and it must be very, very satisfying, I would think. Um, and Luke, so I'd like to kind of hear your background and how you got involved with... Absolutely, and so I had a bit of an interesting journey with Thirst Project as well, and I was actually one of the young people that uh, Seth had spoken to when he had first kind of set out in the first few years of the organization. So all the way back in 2012, I was a senior in high school in Dayton, Ohio, and kind of just had that moment where it was like, oh, wow, this is definitely something that really sparks my interest and is something that I can really take action with right now. And so kind of like Evan, I waited until I was in college. And then during my first summer, I had kind of begged Seth, the founder and CEO, for an internship out here at Thirst Project. And so lucky enough, I was able to land one and packed up my things like Evan and moved out to Los Angeles to just give it a shot as a intern in the marketing department. And uh, throughout that entire summer, had a great experience, and Thirst Project seemed to have a great experience with me and was able to get invited back each summer of college until I graduated and then was really able to use my time in college to prepare for a full-time role with Thirst Project upon graduation. And so that's how I kind of ended up here and have stayed here for so long. How did you know – so you knew Seth as, as, a, as a teenager then. How did, how did the two of you know each other? Uh, I only met Seth because he had spoken at my school and I took up the gumption to get to know him a little bit because I was so intrigued by what he was doing and the movement he had created. And so throughout that entire year from when he had spoke in my high school in May of 2012 to when I started my first internship in May of 2013, I kind of bugged Seth through Twitter, Instagram, DMing Mm -hmm. him, emailing him, calling him. And he's like, look, I don't have any money for you, but if you can get out to Los Angeles, I've got plenty of work. And so I was able to get a grant and stipend from my university to do AIDS and water-related research on AIDS through my internship with Thirst Project, and then uh, cleared my bank account out and just gave it a shot, and it's been probably the best opportunity I've ever taken. Wow, that is – and where did you go to school? Where did you go to – what what college did you go to in Dayton? I went to uh, I went to high school in Dayton. I went to Lebanon High School, a small school out there, and then I went to Denison University, a small liberal oh, arts Denton. school, about thirty yeah. minutes east of yeah. Columbus. Yeah, I'm familiar with that. And so you you kind of came in as a marketing guy. Is that as your internship? Is that what your continue? Is that what your responsibilities are today as well? 
Absolutely. That would be definitely where my primary responsibilities lie in being the marketing director and managing everything marketing. So websites, social media, public relations, any type of email list or mobile list in any type of way we kind of externally communicate with the world on top of all of the like type of productions and projects that we're putting together um, sure. are my main responsibility. And then I just by nature of being around for so long, I get to work in some events and really play a major role in a lot of our bigger events throughout the year. And then also developing a lot of external partnerships and relationships, both with brands, individual donors and uh, celebrity partners. Fabulous. Gosh, you guys are the dynamic duo. Uh, Evan, uh, what I'm just curious to know about is why did Thirst Project decide to focus on educate, obviously on educating the youth? It certainly grabbed both of you. Seth must be one dynamic speaker, but why did why do you suppose that that he wanted to start with the youth and involve high school and college students? Yeah, no good question, Marsha. Uh, and I think a couple of reasons. And first, like I said, when we started 10 years ago, there were dozens of other water organizations that already existed. And still today, like we're not the biggest water organization. We're not the oldest, but we are the world's largest youth water organization. And we, we made that commitment to you know, really invest in the community of young people and make them our target audience because we were witness in that first experience when Seth and his friends went out on Hollywood Boulevard and they met a couple teachers who invited them to their local schools to speak. After speaking at these local schools, these students came together and raised uh, over $10,000. In those moments, uh, we witnessed the mm-hmm. power of young people. And so we witnessed that students, young people, are the most powerful agents of social change. And if we want to change the world in any capacity, if we want to end the water crisis, or let's say we want to end poverty as we know it, we believe that we have to first invest in young people. We have to give them perspective on the real world issues that are happening today. And if you can get a young person as an eight-year-old, as a 10-year-old, as a 13-year-old invested in a cause like the water crisis, like if you can get a young person actually understanding the depth of the issue, then they start caring about it. And then they start trying to figure mm-hmm. out solutions towards the issue. And so it really was, uh, you know, trying to put our time and attention and focus into building this generation of young people because we saw the, the power and influence that they could have on their local community and on the international community to actually bring a solution to this issue. Wow. You know, with everyone having their phones today, uh, access to the Internet, I mean, even in schools where they're providing, you know, iPads and things like that, I, I wonder if in the curriculum in some of the science departments, if if this gets discussed, it'd be kind of interesting to know um, what the educators are saying about this crisis as well, because I could see why you guys would be wonderful people to come and speak not just in a science class, but frankly, at any, any, any program that had an assembly of young people, I can really see um, the value of that. It's, it's, it's pretty significant. Um, oh, without question. You know, I, Absolutely. I, yes. And, and Luke, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about just globally. Um, you know, there's so many areas that could be tackled. Uh, I don't know if either one of you have ever been to Africa. Have you? Have either one of you been there? Yes, we actually both have been there. Oh, good, as have I. So we'll talk about that in a little bit because that is a life-changing experience, in my opinion. Of all the travels I've been around the world, there's been nothing that's affected me the way Africa has. But why do you think that clean water would be the, the focus over health or 
food or education? Why, why start with water? We believe that water is the first building block to all of those other things. And so really without access to, to safe, clean water, medicines are unaffected. Schools uh, fully equipped with the best technology and computers and teachers aren't filled when students are wasting six to eight hours a day going to collect water. You can't maintain a crop or any type of sustainable agriculture without a true a sustainable clean water source. And so we believe that if you want to tackle any of those other issues that are extremely important and plaguing our world today, you have to take care of water first. Yeah, that makes total sense. It, it really does. Um, when we think about some of the things that students are doing, uh, what what are they what are they doing today to to end this global water crisis? What are what are some of the students doing? Yeah, great question, Marsha. Uh, a few things. You know, categorically, if you look at a student wanting to get involved in, in our work, uh, there, there's really two big things you can do as a student living in the United States uh, who wants to help in the global water crisis. The first thing is. Raise awareness. And so our students, after we go and present at a school, our students then make it their mission to raise awareness about the water crisis at their school and in their community. Uh, so they'll give presentations on behalf of Thirst Project. So we'll send them PowerPoints. We'll give them stories. We'll give them slides. And they'll stand up in front of a social studies class or they'll stand up in front of mm-hmm. their service group and they'll present about Thirst Project and tell their peers, hey, there's an issue that nobody's talking about. It's the global water crisis. And what can we do about it? So they're just presenting constantly about the water crisis and giving people a greater understanding of the issue. Second thing is in terms of action, actually doing something to help Mm -hmm. give people clean water. We've seen so many creative ideas that it's crazy. We've seen students do walks for water. And so similar to a local 5K run slash walk, students will get their peers and their community out to their local high school track, and they'll have people carrying full jerry cans of water, the same jerry cans that women and children in the developing world carry every single day. So they'll fill up 44 May pounds worth of water you. into a can. Go ahead. Evan, I, 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 I excuse my interruption, but... I noticed the word jerry can when I was when I was visiting your website and I really do really encourage everyone that's listening today. A lot of what we're talking about is also described beautifully on your site, not to mention the astounding photos. But I saw the word jerry can, G E R R Y. Oh, was it jerry jug? I I'd never heard the term before. Could you what is that exactly? Yeah. You can think of a jerry can as our version of a yellow or diesel gas can, but in the developing world, a jerry can is used to transport water. And so if you saw a picture of a jerry can, you would probably think it was a gas can, but it's used by women and children and they take it to their local water source and they'll fill it up. And when it's full, holds about five gallons of water, weighs about 44 pounds. And that's how women and children every single day transport water to and from their local water source to their homesteads. Wow. Yeah. That's that's heavy. I mean, that's physically heavy, and and they're walking a great distance to get to that five gallons of water, aren't they? Absolutely. Yeah, the average distance is about three point seven five miles, and so if you look oh at eight year olds, nine year olds, ten year olds daily carrying forty four, sometimes eighty eight, so two jerry cans, eighty eight pounds of water for two, three, four miles, it can take women and children up to six to eight hours a day to collect water. Mm. 
And like you said, it's, it's a really formative experience. So if I had you, you know, pick up a dairy can and just carry it for a few seconds, a physical demand of collecting water. So a lot of our students try to bring that as an experiential learning tool into their community. And so they'll host these walks for water and they'll challenge participants to pick up a jerry can and try to carry it for a lap or two laps to see what women and children go through on a daily basis. So walks for water have uh, turned into one of the biggest events that our students are planning around the country. And typically our walks take place in the spring. So in the next couple Mm -hmm. months, we'll have dozens of walks all over the country. Um, But then we see like maybe even more creative ideas uh, related to students' interests and hobbies. So we'll see student benefit concerts for clean water. We'll see the principals or teachers or administrators, they'll get in on the fun. And so they'll allow themselves to get pied in the face for clean water, or they'll shave their <laughs> head for clean water. Uh, you know, we mm-hmm. see dance-a-thons for clean water. So, so many different creative things, uh, all led by students. You know, a, a group that I, uh, that I can't imagine hasn't been affected by this as I'm listening to your story uh, are the scouts, you know, boys and girls that are going for their Eagle mm-hmm. Scouts and their gold awards, I could imagine where youth and government through the YMCA, I can, I can think of a lot of organizations where there are young people that could be beneficial to helping this cause as well. It's, it's so exciting. It's, it's really exciting to hear about what it is you're doing. It makes me want to think about who do I know and who can I contact you with in my service area of people that I've been involved with because I work with a lot of nonprofits and uh, this is just thrilling. I, I, Luke, in thinking about the, um, the project, the, um, the first, I keep saying that first project, what makes you unique and, and different from some of the other water organizations that are out there? Absolutely. And I think Evan touched on this uh, slightly a little bit earlier, but really young people is the the number one thing Mm -hmm. that makes us unique. And in the fact that we do come to young people and say, we need you to help us change the world right now. We don't need to wait until you have more money. We don't need to wait until you have more job experience. We need you today. And so that's really the number one thing that makes us unique. And then really uh, on the other side of that, our students love the 100% model. And so knowing that 100% of that single dollar that they're giving to us goes directly to building water projects isn't entirely unique, but it is still something that's somewhat unique to us in the space. And then finally, the last thing, which again is not entirely unique, but something that helps us rise a bit above the rest is our standards of sustainability. One of the most unfortunate stats in the water space is that on the Africa or on the continent of Africa alone, 60% of water projects implemented by foreign NGOs fail within the first year. And that's really just a terrible statistic. And so we have a really, really in-depth standards of sustainability that help prevent that. And so over the course of our 10 years in the 2,500 projects we've been able to implement, we've only had nine total failures in that time. And so I would say those three things are what really help us stand out as a unique organization. You bet. You know, I'm... I'm listening to this, you know, and I'm thinking, okay, no, I do not know Ellen DeGeneres. We are not friends. But my <laughs> gosh, what a fabulous show this would be on her show where people sometimes get their news via and information via television. Uh, it seems like you guys would be a fabulous. I, you know, when people say to me, well, you know, why do you do this and what do you talk about? And I say, you know, mm-hmm. This is what we talk about. We talk about being inclusive and not exclusive. 
that global water crisis is something that maybe everyone listening could do something about and imagine the reach by that happening and and you sharing your story it's and then that that story gets shared to so many others i know we're connected on social media which you know some people think that's a a bad thing but frankly you we all three of us know that the va- the value of social media is what does engage a lot of people in positives it doesn't just mm-hmm. engage people in negatives and i and i think that it's mm-hmm. important but when you think about the projects Evan, um, why do you only build your projects internationally? So I think what we all believe and to speak on behalf of our entire staff and our board and all of our students who support our work is we believe that everybody has a fair opportunity of life. And what we found to be true is that in the United States, even when you take uh, issues like what has happened in Flint into consideration, uh, that the people in the United States are not – dying from common and easily preventable waterborne diseases. You are not seeing people in the United States dying from cholera. You're also not seeing people in the United States, uh, you know, forced to walk three, four, five miles a day to fetch water. And so the work uh, that we're doing around the world to help give people access clean water, so to help give people access to a basic race resource that you need to survive, for us, that's a human rights issue. I and mean, we believe that water is a human right. And the craziest part, and oftentimes I say this in presentations to students, is that besides air, water is the second most basic resource that we all need to survive. Give us three, maybe four Mm -hmm. days without water, and that's it. And what we're saying at Thirst Project is that over 600 million people do not have access to that basic resource that they need. And so it's our mission Mm -hmm. to restore life to people who are in desperate need of this resource. So that's why we work internationally. And probably one of the hardest parts of our work is you know, getting people to support uh, what we do uh, in the United States uh, if they don't fully understand the water mm-hmm. crisis. Because it's, I think it's hard mm-hmm. for us as people in the U.S. to fully understand an issue mm-hmm. that we are not personally affected by. So yeah. why we do it internationally is because of the importance of the water crisis and people deserve to have access to a resource that they need to survive. Oh, that makes total sense to me. How do you guys um, decide where to implement the projects? How how does that decision-making happen? Yeah, we're actually lucky in that we, uh, as a staff here in Los Angeles, like we don't have to make that decision. So in every country that we work in, right now we're active in five countries, we have what's called a community development officer. And they work for us on the ground and they help us implement our projects. And they are nationals uh, of the countries that we work in. So, for example, in Eswatini or Swaziland, where we do most of our work, there's a guy by the name of Sibu Sisoshiba. And he works for us full-time on the ground. And he is constantly doing assessments in communities that have reached out to him and made a statement that they need clean water in their community. So Siebel will do assessments and he'll go and collect some data points from each community in need. And then he will submit that report to what we have. uh, It's called a a water technical board. And this water technical board, they're made up of five individuals. They have PhDs in either civil engineering or hydrology. And this water technical board, based on the data that's been submitted, they will make a decision of, hey, can we build a project here or can we not build a project here based on the data that's been collected? So it's a, it's a mix of our local community development officer helping us collect data and then our water technical board being the final say in where we implement our projects. Hmm. Well, that, that's And, you know, evidently you've been very successful when you look at the fail rate, right? 
Um, it's it that's that in itself is 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 pretty pretty remarkable. Um, I know you mentioned that um, um, why why people should should why someone here should in the United States be supporting an organization working international. But I think that you've really explained that very well. That um, just like we sometimes honestly we take things for granted because it's it's just within us. We have air, we have water, we can turn our water on, we can get water, we can buy water. Um, I I was doing a Facebook Live prior to you guys joining me, and I have a water fountain in my backyard. And trust me, I was looking at that water fountain, and I was reflecting on, gee, isn't this lovely to have this water in my yard and the hummingbirds fly by and blah, blah, blah. (laughs) But there are people, young people, old people, if if they're fortunate to live to be old people, in parts of this world that that carry that these these jerry cans i mean that you you drew such a graphic picture in my mind about these 44 pounds worth of water that they're carrying and it doesn't last forever because there's probably multiple people that that water is going to and i just can't mm-hmm. even imagine how frequently they must have to walk to do this it's 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 pretty remarkable i I guess, Luke, what I'd want to know is, you know, how have you seen this impact really um, uh, affecting the individual lives? There must be some remarkable stories about this. Absolutely. And I guess to to make it even more personable, I'll talk about one of my actual experiences when I got to go to the field for the first time. And so back in November of 2016, uh, I got to go on a trip where we document all the projects that we complete in a given period of time. And during those trips, we even get to build a project from start to finish with a community. And so when we build a well in a community, it typically serves around 300 to 500 different people in that community. But it's, it's just such a massive turnaround that the community faces. And so when we got to build that project from start to finish, we literally heard stories of people who were now getting to send their children to school, who were now able to go mm-hmm. apply for jobs who are now able to just start living their basic lives. And it feels as if you're just unshackling them from this cycle of just stuck, stuckness because of a lack of access to the most basic resource on earth. And so we, that, that to me was one of the most impactful times to just literally be a part of the change with them and, and see how overnight something so simple as clean water can just turn an entire community around. I bet. Where did you go? I'm just curious. When you went in November of 16, where did you go? I got to go to, at that time, it was the Kingdom of Swaziland. And as of May of this year, they recently renamed themselves to the Kingdom of Eswatini. Yeah, I, you know, I, I noticed because when I was on your website and I noticed the letter E in front of the word, what, what, what used to be like Swaziland, I, I was familiar with Swaziland. I didn't realize that they had changed their name, but in 16, it was still considered Swaziland. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. That that's pretty remarkable. We're going to talk a little bit more about that too, because I, I know that that's a huge, huge project that you're working on right now, but where are some of, you know, um, so you said that there are about 300 to 500 people that get served by, by one well Um, that that's, that's really remarkable because I'm, trying i i like i said i was also in um 
Africa, I was in Cape Town where I saw a lot of people living in these townships, these these townships that were really basically just containers. And how did they, how were they going to get their water? It was clearly an issue. And frankly, the other thing that you haven't even touched on is that these villages in these remote areas where there isn't clean water are also susceptible to fire. And you can't put out fire without water. And that, that, that's another component. Um, you, you can't grow, like you mentioned earlier, agriculture. You can't feed your chickens and your, your cows to get milk and to get, you know, to get eggs and all of those things. Everything, everything in life, which you said it so beautifully, after air, I mean, you can't be without water. It, it, and so while certainly I don't want to undermine the conditions that are going on in Flint, but what I, what I do think is so vital is, is the beauty of your generosity and trying to make a difference in Africa and, and other places that you're, that you're going to be going, what we'll also talk about. So I guess how do you make sure that the projects that you build will last um, what is there is it technology evan that 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 you use that makes these projects be so successful so, so when we started 10 years ago admittedly marcia we we didn't know the correct process from the very beginning and so for the first 18 months as an organization we were what's referred to as a funding organization so we would get money and raised by different student groups or individuals and we would take that money and we would support other smaller organizations who would go and build projects and in those first 18 months we realized that we would fund an organization and they would go and build a well and let's say one organization and building that well they would do a pump test we would then fund another organization and they wouldn't do a pump test. And then we'd fund an organization mm. that would do a water, water, water quality test. And then we'd fund another one that wouldn't do a water quality test. And so we started to ask the question to ourselves, like there's no standard by with which we're funding projects. It seems like there are different organizations doing different things. And so about 18 mm-hmm. months into our work, we stopped funding projects. And we said, we have to build out standards of sustainability that we have to meet in order to build a project. And so that was the birth of what I f- referred to earlier. That was the birth of our water technical board. So we assembled this water technical board initially to help us build out our standards of sustainability. And these standards would guide our field practices. So we would have a list, a checklist of things that we would have to do in order to implement a project in the community. And so now that's what really guides our field practices. And that's how we, when we build projects, we make sure they're built to last. It's because our water technical board uh, built out these standards. And part of these standards are different things like doing groundwater surveys. I got asked a question this past weekend speaking at a conference and they asked like, how do you make sure these, these wells don't dry up? And it's really by doing hydrogeology surveys. We have to survey the level of the groundwater to make sure when we drill, we're drilling in an area that there is plenty of water, even through seasons of drought. So it's things like hydrogeology surveys, it's things like pump test, water quality test. A big one, though, and this is a big reason, I think Luke mentioned it earlier, that there's a lot of failed water projects all across the world. Mm -hmm. I mean, the water space is is a pretty dark place when it comes to people who have really good intentions, who are building projects, but they ultimately fail. And one of the main reasons that projects fail is that community or organizations will go into communities and build a project, but they won't train the local community on the maintenance and upkeep of the project. So in every community that we build a well in, 
we train the local community. So we form what's called a water activities, or sorry, what's called a water committee. And this water committee is made up of five men and five women. And this water committee, they are in charge of the maintenance and upkeep of the project. So they are trained on proper sanitation practices, but they're also trained to be able to handle any minor repairs that may be needed. And if there's a major repair that ever comes up, then they will contact our community development officer to make sure they either get the parts or the training necessary to make that major repair. So a really big wow. part of making our, making sure our projects last is giving this local water committee the authority to maintain and upkeep each project that's built. That's a huge reason why our projects are built to last so long. And I think it's fascinating um, that you mentioned five men and five women. How empowering must that be? They're so grateful to have had you dig and bore and, and get that well to be producing water. And then for them to be able to take the pride and ownership of maintaining it, that's, that's outstanding. I, I mean, I really can appreciate why that makes you so very successful and perhaps unique. I don't know. But that, that um, I'm, I'm writing, so that water committee is made up of these men and women. That's, that's very, very significant, isn't it? Because that training is really important. Absolutely. And we use, we use the word empowerment a lot. I think it really empowers the local community to feel like it's their project. You know, it's not the first project's project. It. It's the local community. It is their project that they own, they can maintain, maintain and they can be proud of. Oh, that's, that's wonderful. Um, Luke, so you're, you're, you're the kind of the, the marketing guru. So I'm just curious, you know, it's important to get that word out there. So how do you, how do you use your digital marketing to to spread that awareness, what are some of the ways that um, that you get that that word across? Or besides, I really do need to call on DeGeneres hashtagger every single time you post. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, no. I think um, I think the main thing that the, the the main idea that we use to really stand out on digital is just to embrace it. A lot of companies in our space, and especially nonprofits. Uh, really shy away from social media because it can be seen as something that can be really potentially harmful or dangerous to the discourse around your organization and the work you're trying to accomplish. Um, but it can also be seen as something that's not really truly effective because you're on an online space and not really physically with a person or in front of a person. And so um, I guess the word embrace is what I keep going back to because we really just dove in and said, what are influencers, what are major brands, and what are people in this space that we admire doing, and how can we replicate that on our own to create mm -hmm. uh, a fun and exciting discourse around a topic that doesn't necessarily get the amount of attention that it deserves. And mm -hmm. part of that is, is introducing different influencer relationships. And so if you can have a celebrity with three to five million followers promote you and say, I'm a part of First Project, you're really able to feed other audiences into your own mm -hmm. and really create a, an exciting community of people who really want to change the world and celebrate others who are doing the same. So you've probably um, partnered up with some celebrities, somebody that I, anybody I would know? Oh, that's always a tricky question because everyone knows someone <laughs> else. Um, but I, I'll, I'll read you through this thinking through some names of people that might uh, pop up in your world, but Jennifer Garner, 
um, Angela Kinsey from The Office, Kevin Nealon from Saturday Night Live and a number of different shows in the past, Kristen Stewart from Teen Wolf, uh, Monique Coleman from High School Musical, and then some of our digital influencers like the Ace Family or Tanner Fox or Alexis Wren. Um, we really tried to introduce a number of different influencers and supporters in a number of different backgrounds and markets to find as many Wonderful. people who are passionate about the water crisis as possible. You know what I just also visualize, and if I've thought of this, trust me, I understand you've already thought of this, but what a remarkable documentary this would be. Um, that what a, what a remarkable, if you could connect yourself to USC or, you know, one of the local colleges and said, you want to take us on to actually do a documentary, I could see this, you know, being on the red carpet in a couple of years, because I think that people do like documentaries. And it's certainly this, you guys would certainly be able to do a fabulous documentary, I'm sure. I'm sure that I'm sure I'm not the first one that's mentioned that, but in, in thinking, <laughs> I'm sure that's probably true. I wish I was an influencer that knew who could do that for you, but trust me, you never know who you run into standing in the market. You just never know. Um, when Evan, when we think about um, these ten years, is there a highlight that is like, oh my gosh, let's let's make sure we don't end the show. We we have another fifteen minutes, so we're we're not we're not at the end of the show, but. Is there some highlight that just like really sticks out in your mind? Yeah, uh, there's a few. You know, I think okay. in terms of in terms of field practices, the 18 months in that turning point for us as an organization where we decided to build our own projects that was huge. Mm-hmm. That was huge for us. It was a big decision that we had mm-hmm. to make, and there was a lot of strategy and process that we had to include in that conversation. So 18 months in, when we said we're going to build our own projects, that was big. Uh, and 2012 was the first year that we started our work in Swaziland, formerly known as Swaziland, now Eswatini, and that was also the year that we made the commitment, the bold commitment to end the water crisis in that entire country. Nobody's ever done that before. And so we had a press conference locally in Los Angeles and we drew out all of our celebrity supporters and we had this declaration and we signed it to commit to end the water crisis in uh, Eswatini. That was huge for us too, because that was a moment where we decided as an organization, we were going to shift in so many different ways. We were going to shift our messaging, our focus, again, our field work and practices towards this one country. Country. And then we had to figure out how are we going to effectively tell the stories of the people of Swaziland? How are we going to highlight the issue of the AIDS crisis in Swaziland and its relationship with yes. water? So 2012 was like such a big moment for us. It was such a big moment. And then, you know, internally, we've had a lot of just different moments for us, I think, as a staff that we would mm-hmm. look back on and really highlight. Our fifth gala was a really big deal for us uh, for so many different ways. You know, we had Jennifer Garner come out and she was a huge celebrity supporter that drew a lot of press and attention. Uh, we had mm-hmm. um, oh, that same night, we actually were trending on Twitter, which for, as an organization that was started by students just a few years before that, that was just a big moment for us socially and digitally. And then different things have happened too in LA. You know, we had a, uh, our, our, our office space got changed. And so we came to Miracle Mile area and it's a beautiful space that mm. we would invite anybody and everybody to. So that was a big moment for us internally. And then along the way, just building up our student program. We have a, some huge moments coming up actually this year. So I know there's some oh, I'd love to moments hear about that we can that. look back on the past, but yeah, in the future this summer, yes. 
we're hosting our first ever student leadership conference and it's happening in LA. It's in Malibu at Pepperdine and it's going to be huge oh. and it's going to be an opportunity for students to connect with one another, to be inspired and motivated and also walk away from that conference with tactics and skills that they've learned so they can implement in their community, local campaigns and initiatives for Thirst Project. So we're really, really excited about this first ever student leadership conference that we're hosting this summer. Let, so let me just stop you right there because I, I'm, I wasn't aware of this. Um, is that Pepperdine? What's the date? July 19th through the 21st. And it, it's a time where our top students and teachers are going to be able to come out and, like I said, just build community with one another, be inspired, be motivated, and just learn like just different skills and techniques so they can grow the sure. message of the water crisis at their school and in their community. And how how can is is it is it a limited participation and is it a, is it by invitation only? So it's it's limited in terms of our students, and so it's you know, this conference is for our students. But what we need are passionate and enthusiastic volunteers. We're always looking for more volunteers to come and help oh, us for this event. And so if they're local to Los Angeles or if they just want to come yes. out for a weekend, there's opportunities for you know people to come and help and support this first conference that we're having. Oh, man, are you going to be – you're doing this in July, right? Um, yes, July I would 19th. like you – we will, we will connect about this um, after the show, but I would definitely like – once you have that, you probably already have something together, but I will be more than happy to share that on my social medias to let people know about this because, like you said, maybe as far as your student leaders and, and your teachers – you know, that may have some, um, you know, limitations. But I've never been to any place where you have too many volunteers. So, right. um, you know, I, be I believe in volunteering. And I think that this would be a wonderful opportunity for people that are local to um, come out and support you guys. So I would, I'm sure you're going to have this on your website, but I would also like you to share that information with me so that I can share it with others because, that that's really that's exciting. I, that's 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 really exciting. Um, wow, I, I mean, I'm just just thinking about all that you do. It's just it's quite remarkable. I, I I know what motivates me to do what I do, but let me just ask both of you: uh, what motivates each of you? You can each take your turn on this. What motivates each of you to just get up every morning and go to work? Because not everybody loves where they work, but I have a feeling you guys do. So where does that motivation come from? I'd say uh, this is jumping in, but yeah, okay. Luke jumping in here. And so I'd say the one thing that most excites me besides just really everything we've talked about, like as you can tell, Evan and I are truly invested in what we're doing here and believe in not only the mission, but the actual uh, true outcome and goal of what we're trying to accomplish is, is something that we'll be able to do. And really that fact and the fact that I'm working every day, the sooner I get up, the more work I'm able to accomplish, the better results I'm able to get, the quicker I'm going to be able to put myself out of a job. And the day <laughs> I, have, I get to stop working because the water crisis has concluded in the sense that we know it, um, that's what keeps me waking up every single day and, and, and truly passionate on top of all the other things that come along with a job like this. Yes. I'm sure it's, I'm uh, sure there's, you're never away from it in your mind. Yes. What were you going to say, Evan? Yeah, sorry. Uh, I would say, and going back to 
my, my first work experience talking about the YMCA and, you know, what we have shared yes. there, Marcia, is young people. Yes. I really, the young people mm-hmm. are the difference makers in our work. And I think what really like, gets me motivated to wake up and excited to come into the office on a Monday, which you don't often hear from, you know, a working professional, is, is the fact that I'm working with young people that were so, they're so, they were so unlike me when I was in high school. When I was in high school, I was so just not motivated to participate in activities like this. I wasn't really service driven. Mm-hmm. I didn't have global perspective. And the fact that I, I get to work with 13-year-olds, 15-year-olds, 17-year-olds who care so much about global issues, who care so much about like the impact that they can make on somebody else's life, it's inspiring. And the feedback that we get from those young people about how Thirst Products has changed their life. We have so many young people that write their college essays on their Thirst Product experience. They change their major so they can focus on international relations. They decide to study abroad because they know they're going to get perspective traveling internationally. Like all those different moments that students share with us and we get to share with students just really get me excited. And I, I don't think I would stay at an organization, even if they were in the water space, this long if it wasn't for the fact that you know, we work with young people. And so what's kept me Thirst Project is the young people that we work with. Oh, that's great. And you've been that. How long have you been with them, Evan? With, with it's about six Thirst years. Project? Six years. Yeah, about six years. So you've seen kids that have probably, you may have met as far back as high school that are in the process of graduating for college because I suspect some of these people just stay on. And they probably are like you when you were young and said, you know, are there any internships for me because I feel so committed to this project i i it must be it must be very exciting young people are i would agree with you very very exciting to be to be connected with Uh, if people wanted you know and and let's face it you know you can't do this work this sustainable work without money this doesn't just this doesn't just float down and without the fundraising um, efforts, and you mentioned a, a lot of these different efforts that these kids do, you know, the walks, the, the concerts, the, all of the different, just the whole awareness, just the fact that they're talking about it with their families, you know, and their, and their peers. Um, it, it's pretty remarkable. So if people that are listening, you must have an ability for people that are listening but maybe can't do a walk or something like that to donate, right? So would that be possible for people to donate directly to um, Thirst Project? Absolutely. Yeah, easily on our website or just a simple Google search away, thirstproject.org. There's a tab that says donate, and you can go and donate directly to our organization there. And any donation that's made, 100% of it goes directly towards building water projects. And so we take that money and it goes towards the actual implementation and the materials uh, put towards a well uh, for a community in need. And even more than that, because we're close to World Water Day, so March 22nd is World Water Day, you know, we have campaigns going on where people can, if they want to go a little bit further than just donating, they can go and create their own fundraising page online. So they can go to our website and find a link where they can create their own fundraising page and engage their local community and network to help raise more money to give people clean water. Wow. So March 22nd, I wasn't aware this is World Water Day. I yes, hope we every hear, year. So every single year. I hope we hear, a, I hope this makes the news. I hope that there are people that will be promoting this. And gosh, Luke, do you have, you know, I mean, I'm this, you're the marketing um, expert. I'm sure that these are all the kinds of things that, that you're thinking about as well, because, you know, that, that's not to say that there aren't other issues, right? 
I work with I work very closely with people that have homeless issues. We know that those are their issues. We know there's a lot of poverty. You know, I think that when you decide to volunteer wherever it is, and I think volunteering is so critical to um, a, a life that you can live with gratitude personally. Um, you can just pick whatever that subject might be. Um, the fact that, as you, I mean, I'm just keep going back to what you said, beyond be air is water. The fact that people can get involved, I think, is is really, really important. And I would just encourage people that are listening, if they feel so motivated, there are so many ways. Um, you're very easily accessible. I know you guys do a lot of public speaking, which is what you want to do. You want to be in front of these universities. And did you go back to um, both of your colleges, your alma maters, and, and speak about this project at your local colleges, that, that I mean, your alumni colleges? Uh, I'll jump in first, uh, Luke here. And yes, I have actually been able to go back to Denison and, and speak mm-hmm. about the water crisis and actually maintain a school club there after I graduated. And then the other cool kind of uh, component of my, I, I have a bit of a weird, obviously a weird story with Thirst Project uh, just because there's so many different roles I've played, but I actually still have a scholarship um, in my name at Denison University for students to take unpaid internships like the one that landed me this job at Thirst Project. Um, and that has been something else that has really facilitated a lot more uh, support and work for Thirst Project as well back at Denison. That's neat. What about you, Evan? Have you been back? I have. Uh, in the past mm-hmm. few years, I've gotten the opportunity to speak to my uh, local program that I graduated from, so the Natural Resources mm-hmm. and Environmental Science Program. And I, it, was, it was interesting. You know, we had a project in college in that program where we were given an 8.5 by 11 sheet of paper, and we were told to just draw a picture. So we weren't allowed to write anything. We had to draw a picture of something related to our dream job that we wanted, so a career or a dream job that we wanted. And I drew a picture. I didn't remember this until a few months ago, but I, I drew a picture of just a contaminated river. And even though we weren't supposed to write a lot of text, I wrote a statistic on that uh, piece of paper with alongside the contaminated river. And I wrote, one billion people do not have access to clean water. And I submitted that. And my professor, who's allowed me to come back and speak multiple times at my university, mm-hmm. uh, she, she sent a picture of that picture to me a few months ago. And she said, hey, do you remember you know, doing this for the assignment? And I was like, oh, I had no idea. And so it was cool to see like my dream job that had come to fruition yes. as a part of that project. And we've been able to get some local uh, students from my university to apply to internships. And so we're still connected, uh, yeah, with the University of Kentucky in multiple ways. Oh, I think that's great. I. I had a show um, a couple. It's probably been three years now, where um, a, a, a person works at Children's Hospital LA in their library section for the children to have library books, but he also goes to Africa, and he brings um, theater to Africa, but with the focus on AIDS. And I'm going to make sure that he knows about what you guys are doing as well, because you know it's that. That clean water that they're drinking is also very important to waterborne illnesses that are just, you know, killing children, malaria and things like that. That, you know, that Absolutely. that is a it's a that's really important as well, isn't it? Absolutely, hundred percent. Yeah, so, you it can never really raise is. too much awareness about the water crisis. So, uh, yeah, no, you're totally right. No, 
You know, just out of curiosity before we say goodbye, I don't know the answer, so that's why I'm asking. How deep do you dig to actually get to a well? I don't know how deep wells are. Or does it just depend upon where they're located? Right. Well, and part of it, but what we do, and this is part of our standards of sustainability, to in order to ensure that a well can last through extreme droughts, uh, we typically drill 250 to 300 feet deep into the water table. Wow. And if you ask people in the water space, like, oh, like, how deep do you drill? Uh, and if you were to tell them, oh, I know this organization, they drill about 250 to 300 feet, they would tell you that's deep. And that's deep to drill a well. But that's so when droughts come throughout communities or for Swaziland mm-hmm. example in 2014 Swaziland experienced one of the worst droughts in the nation's history and there were water projects drying up all over the country but not one of our projects dried up and that's because we drill so deep to protect against drought wow. so about 250 to 300 feet is typically that's, the depth through which we drill that's, that's remarkable well i must tell you i knew that this hour would fly by because what you do is just tremendous and I have such respect for not only the project but the passion that the two of you bring to the project and I I want to stay in touch with you I'd like to maybe we'll we'll revisit and have a show you know six months from now and do a follow-up and see how things are going I know you have a big goal by 2022 to mm-hmm. um, to really bring this clean water to the former Swaziland and I just wish you the very best. And, and to Seth, if you're listening out there, wow, what a vision. What a vision you and your buddies had some when you were, you know, what, 19 years old. Whoever would have thought yeah. all these years later that, that that kind of a vision. And that's what I think is so inspiring. And that's why I think it's really important that what you're doing, somebody may be listening somewhere else in the country. We're, we're local where we could meet for lunch. But somewhere else in the country where they might be thinking, I have a real passion for this. And if they can do it, I can do it. And mm-hmm. I think your movement is just remarkable. And I, I want to thank you both so, so very much for for taking your time out today and being a guest on my show, especially my anniversary oh. show, which is significant. Yeah. Well, f- first, congrats to you, Marsha. What an awesome opportunity to be on a show that there's so much room to celebrate. So congrats to you and the show. Yeah. And it's been an amazing platform. You. Like we said, like we will always take opportunities to raise more awareness about the water crisis and just chat and mm-hmm. celebrate more about what we're doing and how other people can help. So thank you so much. Like, we right. don't take it for granted. My Thank you. It's been my pleasure, and I will. I, I, we're going to embrace this beautiful weather that we have today with more rain along oh, the way. Absolutely. Our <laughs> friends on the East Coast, we just really can't complain about the rain, can we? Because, totally. And the tornadoes. So there's been a lot of um, significant weather issues, and so we're fortunate today to be dry with rain on the way, but just thank you once again for your time. And I look forward to, to doing a re a recap um, and um, into the year to see how things are going. But for de- for today, everyone, thanks. Thanks everybody for listening to my show and following me along on social media. And I'll be with you next week with my guest who is Daniel Bruce Levin, who's written a book about mosaics, but it's not what you think it is. And I'll just leave it like that. Thank you, everybody, and we'll be going, we'll be saying goodbye now.